hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 71, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing well, Brennan. How are you doing? I am good. Um, I have nothing interesting uh, going on in my life. <laughs> Come on. Something. Ah, uh, we subscribed to one of those subscription food boxes. Cool. Yeah. How's that working out? I, it's, you know, it's actually pretty good. Wow. It is pretty good. I'm not going to say which because they haven't paid for advertising. <laughs> I've actually heard good things from anybody who has used them. I've never heard anyone go, oh, that was a terrible idea. No, no. I, and I, yeah, because I don't really like cooking very right. much. And so this has sort of been good because it kind of walks you through step by step. And now that I've done it for a couple of weeks, I've actually picked up some stuff that I've sort of incorporated into my other cooking. Well, and that makes sense because once you've done it and you've got those instructions, you're like, oh, that's why this step is so important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or it's it's just more educating me too on how simply and quickly you can make a meal. Absolutely. You know, because the hardest part is planning it and getting all the ingredients in the right place. The actual cooking, eh. Yeah, that's it. So though no, this has been awesome. This has been really good. Uh, but but before we get to our uh, our main topic, which is going to be uh, another selection of listener stories, which I'm very excited yes, to get into. Absolutely. You had some news, which was way the hell more exciting than anything I've done. Well, it certainly kept me up at night. <laughs> okay, maybe I don't want to know. <laughs> His name's Randy. Um, okay, it gets worse. Yeah, we got a we got a kitten. Yeah, he is purebred Siamese, big blue eyes. 10 weeks old, unstoppable <laughs> nuclear reactor level of energy, but he's pretty great. And he got his name, his, his full name is Randy Savage. Which I love. Yeah, well, we're bringing him home in the little carrier thing, and he was savagely trying to get out. He was very unhappy in there, and it was all just teeth and claws. Right. So uh, at that point, Chase said, oh, he's pretty savage. And I'm like, oh, let's call him Savage, and didn't like that idea. So then- <laughs> I can't imagine why. He suggested Randy, and I'm like, oh. Randy Savage. It so was meant to be. His name is Randy, and he is crazy, and he's a lot of fun. But we figured out how to get him to sleep through the night, so I'm happy. We'll have to try and uh, maybe post a couple pictures on the, uh, the show's Instagram. I may have one or two. Oh, you may. I may. And and I should say, I did, yes, indeed, adopt a dog. Turns out the dog did not care for me. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, because you've, you've still had some people sort of contact you and, and yeah. ask about the dog. Yeah, we did adopt a four-year-old greyhound. And uh, it turned out she had lived her whole life in a barn with other greyhounds. And then when she went to a foster home in between coming to us, um, that home had two greyhounds. And we, of course, had no dogs. You had, you had zero greyhounds. Zero greyhounds. And that made her very unhappy. And I called the rescue people and I'm like, I am really concerned this dog is unhappy. Like, I'm besides the point. The main thing here, this dog is unhappy. And I explained what was going on. And they were like, yeah, she's unhappy. So we'll come and get her. So sadly, Ruby was only with us for a week. Well, you know, at least she's now with the family where she's happy. She's got other dogs. She is. Yeah. And, and I heard about that. And she's very happy with other dogs and things are good. And so I, this kitten thing had to go well, right? Because yes. it pretty much broke my heart having to 
give the dog back. Um, of course. So I really needed this whole kitten thing to go well. So yay, well, success. Since I'm the only one who's allowed to hurt your feelings, I'm glad <laughs> that the cat worked out. <laughs> Very well. So instead of making uh, a dirty joke, which was what I had lined up right after this. Oh, I'm shocked. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you would be. Uh, <laughs> I guess we'll probably just, just get to the stories. Uh, sounds good. We had the entirety of the month of October was listener stories. It was fantastic. It was. It was our biggest month ever by a factor of 2.6. Really? Yep. Yeah, it was bigger It was bigger than last October by 2.6. Like, like 2.6 times bigger? Yes. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, we had so many great stories sent to us during the month because October was primarily catching up with the stories that had been sent to us for the earlier part of the year. Right. So we had so many stories sent to us during October. I thought, why not do another episode of Listener Stories? And quite frankly, even after in compiling everything in this show, we're still only caught up to maybe October 3rd. Wow. So we uh, we are we are not going to be short of Listener Stories for the remainder of this year and that said, well into the new year. Well into the new year. And and that said, don't feel bashful about sending them. No. If you've got a paranormal experience you want to share with us, we would love to hear it. Absolutely. Send it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com and uh, we will always read it. Can't guarantee it'll get on the show, but we will always read them. Absolutely. All right. So coming up after the break, Listener Stories, Volume 14. Welcome back. Before we get to the listener stories, I uh, guess this is the first show since Halloween. Right, yeah. So we should talk briefly about what we did on Halloween. What, what did you do? I was, I will actually end the night off, which is the first time in about five years since doing Ghost Walks. Right. And I volunteered to go into Ghost Walks. <laughs> so you had the night off, you well, volunteered to work. you know what? Jay was at orchestra rehearsal and no kids are coming to my house. I am at the top of a very steep hill cul-de-sac, no sidewalks, one street light. You'd have to be a suicidal child. That's true. I don't even like driving up there. So, no, yeah. exactly. And you, so I thought, why am I, why, why am I just going to sit at home and stare at the wall? So I thought, ah, I'll volunteer. And they were like, yes, please. And it's a good <laughs> thing I did because my first group at 630 was like 35 people. Holy shit. Yeah. We put about, I think about 300 people went through that night. So Man alive. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So I did 630 and the 830 tour. So I was home by... Yeah, by about 10.30. Oh, it's not bad. No, and it was fun. I had a really good time. There were a lot of drunks, though. Oh, God, that must be tiresome. Oh. That reminds me, we did that talk at the museum during their big <laughs> night, <laughs> night shift event. I was really grateful to be asked. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it was it was a cool experience. because was. There's no way in hell I'd go to a party like that on my own. No. But what I thought was kind of interesting was just walking around at all these gorgeous people, very fit people yeah. in these sort of skimpy costumes. And yeah. I have never felt so much like a cave troll. <laughs> it was like being in Vegas it, yeah. in, a, in, in some kind of exotic showroom. Yeah. I was going to say Vegas without the other people who look like us. Yeah. It was, it was a bizarre 
experience. And they're all like 20, 25. Yep. Right? Because the drinking age here is lower. Um, and uh, it was, it was, I had no idea that things like that went on. That's how out of touch I am. Oh, same here. And when they're like, oh, there's a bar on every floor and DJ and all this, I'm like, at the museum? Like, what? No, and that place was rocking. It was rocking. It was so busy. So, yeah, that was pretty funny. How was um, your Halloween? Uh, vastly less interesting. <laughs> uh, we had a couple people over to watch the 4K restoration of The Shining. Oh, cool. How was it? Uh, oh, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it looks great. And then uh, they went home pretty early, and I ended up watching this Korean film called Gunjam Haunted Asylum. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to get into it here because this is a ghost story show, not the ghost movie show, but <laughs> that movie scared the shit out of me in like one or two places. Really? Not... Most of it. The like first jump scares or no, the the expectation of jump scares. Oh, they just, brilliant! They sort of take you up to the the edge of the jump scare, and you think, okay, I know what happens now. And eventually, the thing that you're expecting to happen happens, but they draw it out, and you're waiting. Right. You're waiting for that moment, and that is where it gets you. So you kind of almost forget. No, no, you're on this like knife edge of suspense. Wow, you're just waiting for that moment, waiting, and then you think. Maybe it's no. There it is. Okay, and uh, now I peed. <laughs> so you went to bed with those images in your head? I did. It was a restful sleep, as you'll. <laughs> That's funny. And uh, one last thing before we get to the stories. Speaking of ghost walks at Halloween, uh, I know someone who did a ghost walk in Vancouver on Halloween. Oh, cool! And they actually their partner saw something. Oh, wow! Where? Yeah, it was in. Uh, the alley just behind what is often called Blood Alley. Oh, in Gastown. Yeah, in Gastown. Yeah. And what's interesting is, um, well, first I'll say what they saw. I guess the partner saw a shadow man right. crouched down next to the dumpster. Right. Watching the group, but they weren't really there. Oh, wow. It, it wasn't a person in shadow. It was a shadow person. Right, right. Crouched down watching the group and... When the the you know, the guide was talking about this and that, she, all she could look at was not what the guide was talking about, but this man or this thing intently watching them. Holy! And then they said, "Okay, and next we're gonna go down that alley." And of course, it goes right past this person or this thing. And of, of course, you know, uh, the, the she didn't want to go, but no, this is the tour. And I guess yeah, the thing was tracking like the head kind of tracked with the group as it went down the alley. Oh my! And what's crazy is I did that same ghost walk last year and, uh, Nick and I, and sure enough, we were in this alley and they were pointing out, oh, this is haunted, the haunted this. And I, I, all I could pay attention to was this one far corner of the alley. And then they said, oh yeah. And that's supposed to be haunted down there too. And I thought, oh, that explains it. Oh. But it was exactly the same place. Wow. Where my friend saw the shadow man. So there's some down there. There is something going on that's there. That's crazy. Yeah. So from Haunted Asylums, we're going to head over to a fresh batch of listener stories. And we've got some really cool stuff. There, there, I will say there's no Bumble Buzz. <laughs> Bumble Buzz was a unique case. Oh, that was an amazing and story. If you're new to the show, Bumble Buzz was the grand finale from the Halloween show. That yeah. was uh, last episode, episode 70. Make sure to check that out if you haven't already. And I guess we should just get to it. Yeah. Our first story is from Taya. When I was about five, I went over to her friend's house after school one day. She lived in an old-style house off Rudland, just off Fernwood, here in Victoria. 
It was three floors and built sometime in the late 1800s. My friend's room was on the very top floor of the house, so we went up a few flights of stairs to play in her room. After a while, my friend stated that she needed to go to the bathroom, which was down on the second floor, so off she went. A few minutes after she was gone, a girl in a long dress came into the room. She was older than I was, and the dress old-fashioned, but this was the 70s, and our parents were all kind of hippies, so it didn't look out of place to me. I said hello, and she was startled and said something like, oh, you can see me. She sat on the bed next to me, and we chatted about kid things for a while. Then, suddenly, she got up, and she said she had to go. She wandered out the door, and almost right after she was out the door, my friend came back into the room. She'd heard me talking on her way up the stairs and asked who I'd been talking to. Your older sister, I said. She went back to her room across the hall. She looked at me weird and said she didn't have an older sister, and that there were no more rooms on this floor. Being the five-year-old children we were, we just sort of let it go. In my memories, that girl was as solid as I was, but maybe she wasn't. My mom thinks I may have been able to see through her or something, but my young child mind could not comprehend it, so I dismissed it. For most of my life, my mom seems to have had a friendly poltergeist attached to her. We don't know if it's an actual poltergeist, but that's what we always called it. It would slowly open doors that should not be able to open on their own until my mom would say, It's nice of you to visit, but please close the door. And then the door would slowly close until it clicked shut again. This happened in every house we lived in, and we lived in many throughout my childhood. One day when I was around 11, a friend of my mom was having an ugly fight with her husband, so her and her six kids came to our house to be safe. Her husband came barreling into the driveway, spraying gravel all over and started pounding on her front door. He was hitting the door so hard that he broke the doorknob, and therefore the lock, but even in all his anger, he could not push that door open. It would give a little and then shut tight on him again, and eventually he gave up and left. My mom and I both looked at the door and said, thank you for keeping us safe. Another time, many years later, when I was adult and no longer living at home, I was at my mom's house on Christmas Eve for our family dinner. We were sitting in her living room, chatting and waiting for my brother to show up. She had a set of antique bell-shaped Christmas lights. She had them up around a small window, all on their own, away from the rest of her decorations. Out of the corner of my eye, I noticed that these bell lights were flashing, which they'd never done before. At that point, my brother came in the door, and so we pointed out the flashing lights to him. He went over to the lights and was bent over looking at the whole string when he popped up fast and calmly said, You mean these lights here that are not even plugged in? The plug was in his hands. All three of us watched as the lights blinked three more times and then went dark. This is about the time I saw Doris Gravelin goes to the Victoria Golf Club course in Oak Bay. It was late on a spring night with a full moon out, and my daughter's biological father and I were driving the road through the golf course. As we approached the golf course, it started to get misty along the ground, which is normal here in the spring, so I didn't think anything of it. I noticed a lady standing by the side of the road near a hole that was halfway along this part of the road. This was weird to see in the middle of the night. As we came up to her, I kept watching her and made eye contact as we drove past. She shook her head no at me, and I got all tingly. I kind of shook my head to clear it and looked to see if my boyfriend had seen her, but he was just staring ahead. I looked in the side mirror. There was no one behind us. No one on the golf course at all, in fact. I'd only turned my head for a second, so there was no way she could have hidden herself in that time. So thank you for sharing that with us, Taya. You know, I've never actually met anyone who's seen the, the ghost of Doris Gravelin. 
No, me neither, and, actually. And, and I guess if you're not from Victoria, you're not going to understand this. Basically, the, the short version is that there is alleged to be uh, the ghost of a, of a murdered young woman who will cross, was it the 7th Fairway? Yeah. At the Victoria Golf Club. Yeah, yeah. Murdered and, by her husband. Yes. Yeah. Now, I have driven that road many Many times. I, I have driven it at literally all hours of the night. I've even walked that road a little bit in the dark uh, taking photos. Right. Uh, one of my favorite night photographs comes from there. And I have never seen anything. And, and I always kind of assumed it was a bullshit story. But it, right. it, I mean, she's seen someone. Well, it's probably the most famous ghost story in Victoria. Oh, it, of course. Yeah, it's absolutely. the one I hear all the time. And I think people like it because it was, of course, reported in the newspapers. And right. Her husband murdered her and then committed suicide on those same rocks. And, you know, it's got everything. But it's mostly young men who she kind of jumps up in front of. Oh, interesting. So I wondered if she was trying to maybe send a message to to this woman and, and be like, nope, this is not a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could very well be. But I don't know. Spectral relationship advice. Yes. I'd be into that. The the litmus test. Drive past the ghost. If she gives you the thumbs up, you're okay. <laughs> Leave him money. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I love, too, the idea of things not being plugged in but still working. Yes. Um, very cool. There's actually a story in my book, A Strange Little Place, available everywhere. Pine oh, books are sold. God. <laughs> Yeah, there was a story of a woman who heard uh, what sounded like, or not what sounded, she heard voices coming from speakers which were off and unplugged. Oh, wow. And they were picking up, it, she said it almost sounded like a CB radio signal. Right. And the person, she was just going through the death of her husband, as I understand it. And she heard this voice say, uh, again, like two truckers talking to each other. And one said, well, how's it look? And the other guy said, well, up ahead, he said it... Uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of bumpy right now, but he said I think uh, I think it's going to be just fine, and that was it. And you know, it just occurred to me that's I mean that's not that far removed from stories we've had recently about someone hearing other people speak around them. Right. You know the the, the couple whispering to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Or the girls I've heard in my house. Yeah. Talking to each other. You know when there couldn't be anyone there. Yeah. And it, it sort of connects back to her first story, which is where that little girl came in and said, oh, you can see me. Yes. What an yeah. odd statement. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, eh? Yeah, no kidding. The world is a strange place, man. <laughs> this next story comes from Jared. Jared is describing events that took place in Cleveland, Ohio during Halloween 2010. He was home from school at Kent State University. Jared says, I ended up at a 24-7 coffee shop on the west side as the sun set. I ordered a coffee and popped open my laptop. After some time, an acquaintance of mine walked in, and after chatting for a bit, I realized she was in a similar situation and mood. We talked for a little longer, and she shared a few creepy stories from her childhood growing up in a house built in the early 1900s. I expressed my wish to do something a little more in line with the holiday, and she suggested Franklin Castle, which has a creepy history and was only a few blocks from us. At this time, there was no one living in the house, so we had hoped we'd be able to make it in to look around. Unfortunately, when we arrived, we could see that there was already a group trespassing, which was evidenced by lights dancing through the cracks of the boarded windows. So, after walking around the outside and talking about the history of the house, she announced she had a backup plan. She told me about a deep part of the metro parks that always creeped her out. The drive through them involved entering close to our location and following it through to the southern suburbs of the city. We were talking about spirits the whole way. This particular part of the metro park is laid out in a narrow valley with steep slopes on either side, and it remains this way for almost as long as the road goes. It may have helped jumpstart the mood that it was a pretty common occurrence for people to jump from one of the bridges we passed under 
And standing roughly 200 feet over the street in the woods below, there were many stories of people being found hanging from or impaled on the trees. The headlights of the car were the only things illuminating anything, and I had to admit that the pressing feeling of the trees around us was very unsettling. She told me more stories about her experiences as a child, though the atmosphere had me creeped out enough that I can't recall now how they went. At this time of night and this time of year, the woods were utterly black, and you could feel a sort of presence pressing in around you. As you may well know, there are different types of darkness. This was not an amiable one. We ended the drive coming out under a bridge near Baldwin Wallace University. A car rounded the tight corner on the other side of the bridge, headed the opposite way, and in their headlights we could see the shadow of a man running. It looked like a cast shadow, but the problem was that there was no accompanying silhouette to tell us that there was a man actually crossing the street. When the shadow reached the dividers, it appeared to slither over the concrete and disappear over to the other side. We couldn't believe it. We looked at each other repeatedly. We laughed it off as proof that the dead really do wander around on Halloween, but still we were pretty shaken and so decided to call the night there and head back. Though we were a little jumpy, we were both very interested in the paranormal and simultaneously riding the amazement and shivers of what we had just seen, we decided to backtrack the creepy forest route just to see if anything else might happen. Along the way, we discussed red-eyed apparitions and demons, and no sooner had we come upon this subject than we came to a red light. It was right at the edge of the deepest part of the forest road, the border which my friend had pointed out as being the limit of the unusually yet settling atmosphere. The beams from the headlights just reached the asphalt at the other side of the small intersection, and again, it was the only light that shone in the midst of the black trees aside from the traffic light. I've never come across anything supernatural that was more real or strange than what I saw next. I saw the thing first, a deep red dot, like the sidelong reflection of an animal eye, come out of the bushes to the right side of the road, traveling in an unsettlingly straight line, and still just outside of the beam from the headlights. I pointed without saying anything, and we watched as it moved onto the asphalt and into the edge of the light, keeping its line perpendicular as it crossed the street. I thought for a split second that this was just an animal, but as the glowing red dot passed into the light cast onto the road, my heart stopped because it didn't throw a shadow. It was a disembodied red light. I turned my head slightly without taking my eyes off it and began to say, shouldn't there be a shape there? I'm not really sure whether or not I was going to say shape or shadow or silhouette, but it didn't matter because I never got that far. No sooner had I got out the word shouldn't than the shape of a black cat materialized around the glowing dot with the dot lining up where an eye would be in its head. My mouth was on the floor. It continued across the street in a kind of saunter, but even though the body moved, the glowing red dot did not bob or slow down or speed up at all. The shadow then turned its head so that two ears could be seen, like it was facing us as it was walking. But we didn't see two eyes. The red dot remained in its place in the thing's head, as if it were aware of us and cared enough to take a form, but still wanted us to know that it could see we knew it was not really a cat, and it didn't care. Then it was across through the long grass on the other side, and out of sight. We just sat there. I finally looked at my friend, and her expression reflected what I felt like I must have looked like. I didn't have to ask if she saw what I saw, but I did anyways. She did. The moral of the story is, when you go looking for creepy supernatural things on Halloween, don't be surprised when something decides that's exactly what you're going to find. Yeah, I feel like that's a valuable lesson. <laughs> you don't want creepy things to happen, don't go looking for creepy things. That's why I never do. Uh, that said, uh, the black cat thing, there's a little bit of a synchronicity here. So I, I think I mentioned to you, no, you know, I don't know that I did. 
couple nights ago, or maybe about a week ago now, I was laying in bed and looked over and saw the, our cat kind of walking back and forth in the windowsill, which is in and of itself not particularly special. Right. And I went to go back to sleep, and then I thought, hang on. I thought the cat was sitting at the foot of the bed. And then, of course, I reasoned it must have jumped from the bed to the laundry basket and climbed up in the window. And then I thought, well, well, no, because it makes quite a noise when it jumps from the bed to the laundry basket. Right. That's odd. And something told me to look. And so I grabbed my phone, turned on the light, shown her on the foot of the bed. The other cat's laying there. He has not moved. Uh-oh. So what the hell was in the window? <laughs> Another cat? Nope, because our, uh, the cat that was laying on the bed, if he even sniffs another cat in the neighborhood. Oh, he freaks out. He freaks out. He goes up to the window, oh, makes the most horrid noise. Oh, gotcha. So whatever it was, he took no notice. Wow. And then I was talking to Nikki a little while ago, or a couple of days ago rather, and she got up to use the bathroom one night recently after I saw what I saw. And sure enough, she saw what she thought was a black cat. Interesting. So I don't know what the hell's going on. But well, uh, we, we but, got some company, at least. But much like that story, isn't it comforting when there's another person who can corroborate what you've seen? Oh, yeah. Like, even though you both know you've seen it, it's so much nicer to go, did you see that? Oh, well, that's <laughs> it. So thank you for sharing your story with us, Jared. Our next story comes from Justin. Hi, guys. I was just listening over episode 15. Oh, episode 15, so long ago. When I heard a mention of the ITC devices. This stands for Instrumental Transcommunication. I wanted to share something that happened a couple of weeks ago. My friends and I decided to go ghost hunting for the night. After a few hours of nothing in Blackfoot Cemetery in Pike County, Indiana, we decided to call it a night and head back to our friend's house. I downloaded a knockoff ITC app. I have no idea what happened that night, but my brain won't let it rest. That something paranormal may have happened. I turned it on and let it run. We taunted it a bit, and at first it spoke random words. When my friend Bree started speaking some colorful words, its next word it came across the display was language. It then proceeded to say my girlfriend's little sister's name, although spelled differently. When we started taunting it again, it said, Brianna, bad, unhappy. Immediately, we turned it off. Part of me is a skeptic, so at first I wanted to say that it was some kind of an app designed to pull information from your phone and use it as part of the speech database. But when I looked at the permissions, I don't remember seeing anything of that type. But I still can't explain any of it. And it left us scared. So thank you for sharing that with us, Justin. And we really wanted to tell a story because we kind of wanted to talk about um, <clears throat> this kind of thing. And actually, uh, an experience I had and talked about last year. So now, first off, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest, and this is not going to be a popular statement. I don't believe in these things. I don't think they work. I don't think things like ghost boxes, ITC apps, I don't think you're talking to anything. Uh, what are your thoughts? I have um, been around people using them. Right. And I have seen some interesting results. Okay, fair um, enough. I've seen just as many useless results. Right. But there have been times when it does definitely seem like we are on some sort of back and forth communication with something. Right. Um, but then it just seems to disappear, get bored, I don't know. Right. Go for a sandwich. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, I, I can sympathize with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not a big believer in that kind of divination. I just, I think that, it, you know, it, it's just, a lot of it's just broken technology. Right. And we're kind of reading a lot into it. Right. Um, which is not to say I don't think, you know, certain kinds of divination are possible. I just, I'm very suspicious of this kind of mainstreaming, this idea that you can that easily 
right. affect that kind of communication. That, that seems like, I don't know, it seems like kind of a, a, a long bridge to cross. And the reason I say that is because people have asked me about my experience at Zach Baggins Haunted Museum right, yes. last year, where you know the, the there's, they had a ghost box in one of the rooms, and it said, as I was leaving, it said my name. It said my first name. Now, people have said, is it possible? And they've written, they've written in quite a bit. This is why I'm saying it on the show. People have asked, is it possible that during the ID check, they record your name? And then, you know, they just kind of pick one person out of the group. Right. And 100%. It's very, very possible. And, you know, at the time, in the moment, which I guess is, you know, in a way, that's kind of the point, you don't question it. Right. Because it just happens. And you you think, oh, holy smokes, this, this is what's going on. But, yeah, it, it, they absolutely could have done that. And I wouldn't put it past them. Well, and this was pretty standard practice in, like, the 1800s traveling shows. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah. And even to the most modern of, like, the Long Island medium, they will um, get people's names, research Facebook posts. Um, basically, they have ways of getting information from you and about you right. without you even realizing it. And then it comes back. And pretty much every medium who's ever had a TV show has been busted on this at one time or another. Yep. That's a very sweeping statement, and I am aware of that, but I'm struggling to think of anyone who hasn't. Uh, I can't think I, of I think I think the problem comes in when you have to produce, again, because I think some people can do this. I've yes. done it. Yes. We've both done it. We've, yeah. both, we've both had these flashes of, of intuition, yeah. uh, which are have proven to be right, and, and they are impossible to have guessed. And they are impossible to re- replicate. That too. And, and and that's the problem. I think yes. once it becomes entertainment, you have to snap it out, you know, run one after the other. You gotta- and how can you do that? You can't be that consistent all the time. I mean, if you were, you'd be insane because you would be so plugged into this other world or whatever it is that you're, you, I think you would literally lose your mind. Well, that said, I think there are people out there who have a sort of a very intense connection. Yes, but every night in a stadium full of people. Oh, no, that's what I mean. And that's where it gets ugly and that's where it gets fake. Yeah, and and that's what I mean. The people I know who've got that steady, regular connection and who who can sort of just sort of uh, reach out and, and touch that side of the world um, regularly, yeah. they don't perform. No, you know it, it's and they have off days, and they'll tell yeah. you that they'll say yeah. it's for whatever reason today's not working. Yeah, you know, uh, but yeah, once it becomes entertainment, you have to produce regularly, and then the pressure's on to perform it, and that's when things get made up. Right. So yeah, that's why uh, again, I don't want to, I don't want to kill anyone's fun, but I'm just very suspicious of these things because it's entertainment, a hundred percent, and and so I don't know. Um, Again, Justin, what happened to you could totally have been a, a real thing. I'm not discounting it. I'm not saying it wasn't. I But if it's an app that's designed to produce an entertainment experience, which that kind of is, I'm a little suspicious of it. This next one's from Kathy. I was binging your podcast and just had to stop and write to you after Brennan spoke of not ever having a benevolent otherworldly encounter. I suddenly remembered my own first encounter way back in 1973. My father died in July of 1973, and our mom had died several years before. At 18, I was quite innocent, not much worldly experience, still in high school. Anyway, I cut loose to grieve, and over the next year, I started drinking far too much and hanging out in the bars. One night, in a pretty rough steel town, Hamilton Bar, I found myself the lone female sitting at a large table with at least eight men. Basically, all strangers. I was drunk, of course, but had a quiet moment of self-awareness. I gazed off in the distance and thought, what would dad think of me doing this? I immediately felt a warm flow of pure love flowing over my head all the way to my feet. 
It was real. It was my dad, who in life was sarcastic and an alcoholic. Other times I felt in my mind's eye people who have recently died come to say goodbye with a kiss or a hug from behind. These come in a particular kind of dream, or more often when I'm relaxed and doing some chore that doesn't require much attention. I treasure these moments. And thank you for sharing that, Kathy. That, that's a really lovely story. It really is. And, and I, I do love stuff like that. Again, I've never really, I've had uh, pleasant, you know, dreams about people who've passed, but never uh, like, a, like that kind of um, affirmational yeah. kind of thing, which is really cool. And, and I'm glad that it was sort of a, I guess, like a moment of revelation for you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, sort of convinced you to, to change the way you were living. This story comes from Ava. My mother, father, aunt, and uncle moved from a tiny town in West Virginia to South Carolina in 1988. Before I go any further, I should mention that my mom and her sister had their fair share of paranormal experiences way before this. My uncle was a truck driver, so he was on the road for days, maybe a week at a time, which meant my aunt would be at home a lot by herself with my cousin. One night, my mother woke me up saying we had to go to my aunt's house, which was right down the street. I remember it so well. It was storming really bad that night. When we pulled up in the driveway, my aunt ran out of the house with my cousin and got in the car. She looked at my mom and said, there's a girl in the house. My aunt proceeded to tell my mother that she had fallen asleep on the couch and the storm had woken her up. When she got up and looked down the hallway, she could see a girl, maybe an older teenager or a young woman, sitting in the hallway with her back to her. She then disappeared quickly. That was the first of many events throughout the years. I was always afraid to go in her house by myself. I absolutely refused to. As the years went on, it was fairly normal to be sitting in the living room and hear toys being played with in my cousin's room when she wasn't in there. Things would go missing. Faucets would turn on and off by themselves, and you'd see things out of the corner of your eye. Sometimes, when people would call my aunt's house, they would tell her that someone would pick the phone up, but never say hello. This was especially odd because no one would be home at the time of these calls. My mother would also say that whenever she would babysit my cousin, whatever was in my aunt's house would follow them to our house. My cousin was eventually placed in an adult living facility with other handicapped adults where she began to work. When my cousin left, whatever was in my aunt's house left with her. The spirit was never mean or malicious in any way, and through the years, my aunt would see her regularly. Thank you guys so much for letting me share this. Next story is from Nat. Hey guys, my name is Natalie, Nat, and I live in England. I love the podcast, and I'm currently on episode 30, The Thing in the Woods. I had a bit of a strange experience last week, and I was wondering if you guys would maybe know what this could have been. I'm an extremely spiritual person and have a strong belief in the paranormal, but it's been a while since I've had an experience and never anything like this. I was fast asleep in my partner's house and had an extremely vivid dream. It felt like reality until I'd woken up. I was driving down a rural road surrounded by countryside, maybe a few trees, and it definitely resembled a road nearby, which I have to drive down to get to my partner's house. Anyway, I noticed a little girl, probably barely even two years old, toddling along the side of the road. There's no one else around but me. She starts to walk into the road, so I pull over so that I can get out of the car and help her. I face down briefly to undo my seatbelt, and when I look up, she's gone. And all of a sudden, I'm back behind the wheel driving down the same road again. I'm not sure if you've watched Russian Doll with Natasha Leone on Netflix, but it was extremely similar to this in the sense that she keeps suddenly going back to the start of that evening. The little girl is walking down the road again. It is exactly the same. So I start feeling a little bit freaked out and try to do the same thing again. Pull over and help the small girl. She disappears again. This happens five or six times. And each time I'm more frustrated and panicked 
because I'm conscious of what is going on. And each time I look around more and more to try and see her, she's still gone. You can see for miles all around the car and she just vanishes. But here's the weird part. There was a presence in my dream. There was something or someone in there with me, not the little girl. And every time this weird scene restarted, the presence grew stronger. And it felt so scary. Almost like someone holding their head next to mine looking over my shoulder. I eventually woke up because the presence was so strong and freaked me out so much, it shocked me awake. It all felt so real and was a scary experience. Me jumping awake woke up my partner, and they asked what had happened and if I was okay, and I explained. I was shaking, and my heart was pounding so fast. I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since it happened. I never saw the little girl's face, only the back of her. She was blonde with two pigtails and was wearing a fuchsia raincoat. And I can't forget the feeling of someone intruding my subconscious. My dreams always feel like a safe space for me, and it felt like my safe space had been invaded by something much bigger than me. It was truly awful. That does sound goddamn awful. It really does. It really does. Thank you, Nat, for sharing that story with us. Yeah, thank you. It it reminds me, there's a short story by Harlan Ellison. I can't remember the name of it, but it's in the collection Angry Candy. And it's about a young woman who is sort of idly fantasizing on a bus. Right. And then she feels someone intrude into that fantasy. Oh, wow. Someone on the bus who can see her and somehow it's never explained how, but they can intrude upon her fantasy life. Yikes. Yeah. And she has to sort of hide from them until she can uh, defend herself. Not good. No. And and just the idea of that, of someone intruding in that space is so, uh, so frightening. What's even weirder is, uh, and I, I can't be too specific because I was literally just told this and I didn't have a chance to ask permission. Right. I was told a story just yesterday, I think, or maybe earlier this earlier today, but these people were out taking photographs in a wooded area. Right. And it was a, it was a man and woman. And the woman was checking the camera and she felt the man come up behind her and look at the viewfinder. Right. So she started talking to him because, you know, she assumed it was the person she was with. Mm -hmm. Well, then she turned and looked. No, he wasn't there. And not only was he not there, he was several feet away playing with his phone. What? Yeah. He'd never been anywhere near her. So who the hell? That's crazy. Right? Just came up right behind her, like as, uh, you know, intimate as anything, looked in the viewfinder next to her head. That's creepy. Yeah. And so close to this, which is kind of eerie. And, and also, I'm interested by the fuchsia raincoat. That's such a specific detail for... It's a very odd detail, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And uh, I'd be curious to know if... Because um, sometimes we throw these things out there and someone will say, oh, you know, I've heard of X or Y. So if anyone out there has uh, sort of anything to offer about the you know blonde girl with two pigtails and a fuchsia raincoat, let us know. I'm, I'm really curious to hear. Yeah, me too. This story comes from Dana. Dana says... My story first begins when I was a dumb preteen. I'd gone to a graveyard with a friend of the same age to take pictures of ghosts. We obviously weren't getting anything, so I decided to provoke the spirits by dancing on someone's grave. It was a slab of granite laid flat on the ground. Nothing happened. We went to our respective homes. Later that evening, while I was taking a shower, I started singing a religious patriotic song, and after completing one verse, heard a slam inside the bathroom. It sounded like my hollow plastic hairbrush being slammed against the sink top. I shrugged it off and restarted the same verse. I heard the same noise at the end of the verse. All right, no more singing. I was creeped out, but not scared. 
About 30 minutes later, it was time to sleep, so I flipped the light switch and got into bed. I kept the closet light on due to the previous event, and in the time it took to walk from the main light switch to the bed, I noticed a black shadow darting quickly around my ceiling. It was about a square foot in size, and continually changed shape, but always with several acute angles, like a skinny spearhead with other odd angles attached to it, making it an irregular shape. I was religious at the time, and immediately closed my eyes and prayed, apologizing and asking God to apologize to the thing for me. I looked back at the ceiling, and everything was normal. When I was a preteen, I was laying in bed to go to sleep. My bed was in the bottom left corner of the room, with the doorway recessed past the left wall by about three feet, as that's where the closet was. So from my viewpoint, I could not actually see the door because it was around a corner. One night, I opened my eyes for seemingly no reason, and saw a shadow figure on the left side of my room, directly across from me. The room was completely dark, but this figure was darker still. Even then, I could see or sense a 3D shape to it. It was a man's shape with an average build, and I could tell that he was walking away from me and turning that corner to go through my room. The moment I saw him, he froze and did not move. I hid my face, and minutes later when I looked again, he was gone. I'd like to note that my family was the first to live in the house. So that seems like a straight-up shadow people story to me. Yeah, and not good. No, although it didn't seem overly, uh, like, intentionally aggressive or malicious. I think it was just probably annoyed. You think so? Well, you don't dance on someone's grave and... Oh, I see. You think the two things were related, right? Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, the first time I read the story when we got to the grave dancing, Ian actually uh, broke out laughing and we had to stop. <laughs> I'm like, part of my intro when I do a ghost walk is I talk about things not to do in horror movies. Like, there's a general list of accepted rules. Don't go in the basement. And applying to the story I'm telling at that moment, don't mess with the First Nations graveyard. Right. I will now add a new one. Don't go dancing on people's graves. (laughs) Don't do the merengue on anyone's tombstone. No, no. It is just not cool with anybody, including the departed. (laughs) I got to say, when I was in Ireland for the first time, my cousin and I, we would take pictures of him surfing on tombs. Oh, my God. Well, I was going to say, we got away with it, but here I am sitting here with you, so (laughs) maybe. I love graveyards. I find them wonderful places to put life in perspective. Sure. Like, if you're feeling really crappy about your life, walk through a graveyard and realize a lot of those people had it better than you, and a lot of those people had it worse than you. In 100 years, who's going to care? That's true. And no matter what you're going through, you can usually put it in that context. We have such a short time on earth. Use your time wisely. I will say, don't be that guy at parties who gets drunk and maudlin and goes, well, in a hundred years, nothing's going to (laughs) matter. It's not deep. No, it's more of a personal way of getting some clarity and and, and putting some parameters around your own problems. And I agree with you completely, but I actually knew a guy. He was a, a friend of my mother's and he would get drunk. He was just this little short guy. Yeah. Little short fat guy. And he'd get drunk and he'd get maudlin. And and that's where immediately we're going. A hundred years, none of this is going to matter. Oh. Get out of here, no. Dr. Killjoy. Yeah, no, he's a nihilist. I have no time for that. And it wasn't my fault. Your mom kept inviting me. <laughs> yeah, well, let's not explore that relationship. <laughs> oh, look at the time. I may be your dad. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> You know, I didn't think you were going to pull the trigger on that. And now did your mom. Oh. 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 Hey, Cappy. And now I've lost all will to live. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love that your sister listens to this show. <laughs> well, she started at the beginning, so she's got some time to prepare oh, for that. Oh, good. So she won't find out until episode 71 that she's my daughter? Well, that explains a few things. <laughs> oh, that went in a whole different direction, but it, it's fine. It, yeah, that was great. I'm, But I am going to go shoot myself now. Because <laughs> I have to deal with two images there. Neither of them particularly appealing. <laughs> Hello, that was horrible. Rather than go on to the next story with the image of Ian having sex with my mother right at the front of my brain, I thought I'd take a quick minute to put on some smooth jazz, have a drink, and try and exercise it from my brain. Next story is from Brandon. Hey guys, love the podcast. Figured I'd share what's been occurring in my sister's house. So I guess to start off, my sister moved into a newly built house on the water, about an hour south of Boston, Massachusetts. Every year she goes on a vacation or two, and me and my girlfriend volunteer to house sit for her. The first time we house sat, my girlfriend remarked that she had an awful time sleeping because it sounded like people were talking. She couldn't make out the words. There was just a general talking noise. I at first figured it was probably the fish tank, just low in water. I know, dumb guy dismissal. Thank you, Brandon, for taking responsibility for that. The next time we had sat, it seemed to ramp up even more. While laying on the couch at one end of the hallway with my girlfriend in a closed bedroom at the other end, I continuously heard a door opening and what sounded like footsteps running down the hall towards me. It seemed to happen every 10 minutes or so. After this, me and my girlfriend vowed to never stay overnight there again. However, at some point, we decided to repaint the bathroom at our place, and you shouldn't shower in said bathroom until the paint's been dry for 24 hours. So we made sure this coincided with the weekend my sister went away. We both went there to shower, and as we were in the bathroom, I went out in the hallway to grab a bag for dirty laundry. As I did, I looked down the hallway into the bedroom. There, I saw a man, who was darker than night, sitting on the bed staring out the window. Needless to say, I rushed us out of that house, and I am terrified to go back. This all coincided with a rather large emotional breakdown for me, and I'm almost positive those two incidents are related. Before these incidents, I believed in the paranormal, but had never had any experience. My girlfriend had already had a few, albeit more positive experiences, and was much more in touch with the spiritual side. My sister has never said anything to me about seeing, hearing, or feeling things, and I'm not even sure if I should bring it up to her. We've never talked about things like that with each other before. For context, me and my girlfriend are both 22 years old, and my sister's 28. Do you think that whatever is there may respond more to us because we're more open to the paranormal? Well, I bet Brandon's grateful he doesn't actually live there. Uh, yeah, I would be grateful I don't live there. And thank you for sharing that story with us, Brandon. That was pretty wild. Yeah, I got to tell you, I would uh, I would just stop going there too. I, I mean, that's what happened when I was uh, house-sitting for you that time. Yeah, that's I, right. I just went as, did everything I needed to do as quickly as possible and, and got the hell out of got there. got out of there. Yeah, yeah, I was not hanging around. No, I hear you. It seems to be a real uh, sort of a um, uh, a theme tonight of, of shadow shadow men and disembodied voices. Yes. You know, it, it seems, it's funny how these things kind of link up. Every episode we seem to have this unintentional through line. I know, I know. And what's interesting too is um, no one can ever make out what the people are saying. I have heard probably 50 stories of I could hear voices, but I couldn't make out what they're saying. I could hear a man and a woman arguing, couldn't make out what they were saying. I could hear two women talking, 
could make out what they're saying. It's so interesting to me. Sometimes I wonder if it's attributable to animal noises. You know, I, I remember when I was living, there's this, this is a long story how I got there, but I was living in a camper way in northern <laughs> BC for a little while. It's, okay. Yeah, let's not tell that story. But uh, porcupines would eat the hoses. Oh, no. And so at night, you would hear porcupines, but they sound kind of like old drunks talking. Oh. It almost sounds like people. Right. And uh, obviously, I don't think that's all the cases here, but right. I do sometimes wonder, you know, I, I think back to those nights where uh, I'd be lying in that damn camper, freezing my butt off, listening to these stupid, beautiful little things chittering at each other, and <laughs> drunkenly gnawing on all the hoses. Oh, no. Oh, it was a bad, bad time in my life. Anyways, let's not dwell there. Right. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad you got out of there, Brandon. And uh, thank you for sharing that with us. I, again, the Shadow People stories, I'm endlessly fascinated by them. Well, and Brandon, if you ever do talk to your sister about it, I would love to hear what she says. Yeah, because odds are she's probably had her own experiences. Or maybe she hasn't. Maybe she is just so closed off to it, she would dismiss it just out of hand. That's possible, you too. Know, yeah. There's people who will do that. And yeah, I'd be interested. Yeah. This story comes from Deborah. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I'm your first listener in Madagascar, but definitely fact check me on that. Nope, you you are. I'm pretty sure. I'm an American expat who moved here about a year and a half ago to join my South African fiance who's been working in Mata for a couple years already after he asked to be transferred by his head office in Cape Town. It's a fascinating place to live, especially for me, an anthropologist. The culture is rich in traditions called Fumba Gazi. People, especially out in the villages, are very superstitious. Even in Antananarivo, called Tana by most people because two syllables are more economical than six, Malagasy people will follow fadi, or taboos. One in particular is that you must avoid pointing with your index finger because of the fadi against pointing at a grave. Tana is hundreds of years old and super crowded, so it's pretty common to see random graves along the road. To avoid this, people point with their knuckles. I'm now so accustomed to pointing with my knuckle that I do it even on vacation abroad. My story doesn't really involve a direct interaction with the paranormal, but I thought you'd find it interesting nonetheless. In the northwest of Mada, there's a beautiful island called Nosi Bay, the top tourist destination in the country. My fiancé and our friends actually own a hotel slash restaurant on the island, so if you're ever in this hemisphere and want to see lemurs before they go extinct, hit me up for some private rooms and free pina coladas. Done. This story takes place in 2013. In one of the villages in the southern part of Nosi Bay, a little boy was found murdered one morning, floating in a stream, allegedly also mutilated with some organs removed. His family and neighbors obviously were horrified, so they got together a search party to find the murderers. For some reason that's still unclear, they zeroed in on a group of expats, two French guys and an Italian guy who'd recently rented a home on the island. Allegedly, and I can't stress that enough, when the mob stormed into these guys' home, they found the missing organs in the fridge. Refrigerated organs in this part of the world would most likely be taken across the Mozambique Strait to Mozambique or South Africa, where they'd be then used for muti, a dark magic form of witchcraft, as opposed to being sold for medical purposes. The police nationale came in and took these three guys into custody, bringing them to the big city on the island Hellville and throwing them in jail. A larger mob formed of outraged Malagasy villagers from all around the area. They stormed the jail Bastille style and dragged the guys away. The police couldn't really do anything. There's never violence like this on the island. They basically just stop tourists and try to extort money from them if they don't have their visas with them. The mob brought these guys down to the most popular beach on the island, Ambataloka, beat them, and burned them alive. There are some graphic pictures online that show the guys being consumed in the fire, which I highly recommend avoiding. 
The official estimate is that over 50 people were involved in the lynch mob, but only 19 were charged and convicted of the murders. The beach is still extremely popular, full of hotels, bars, and restaurants. The only thing, though, is that on some nights you can smell the burning of the bonfire of human flesh. I've personally never smelled it, but I've had a very uncomfortable sensation of anxiety and dread each time I've been to the beach. After the sun sets, the beach is quiet and pitch black. I really don't enjoy being out there at night. Actually, I don't enjoy being there at all. Now when we go to Nosy Bay, we stay at our hostel, in Hellville actually, and hang out at other beaches. Nosy Bay is a very safe place, by the way. This was the first and last murder in the last 10 years. The worst thing to happen to a tourist is having a wallet slash phone slash passport stolen, so don't let this story sour you on this beautiful, bizarre country. I'm just thrilled all to hell that someone in Madagascar is listening to our show. Well, and I was just going to say that um, if you have alienated our entire Madagascar listener base through your terrible pronunciations, I will never <laughs> forgive you. <laughs> I desperately wanted you to get that story. I wanted to watch you wrestle with those words. I wrestled like a... with those words when we got that email. <laughs> <laughs> but what an amazing story. Oh, it's... And it... what a cool place... It, I, I would love to see Madagascar one day. Absolutely. I, I know Nikki's very, very keen on seeing it. Yeah, you can't go wrong with a good lemur. So true. <laughs> I, I've heard that many places. I know. It's I certainly know. not something you just pulled out of your ass <laughs> that right That old axiom, right? Yeah, that's oh, you can't go wrong with a good classic. lemur. Classic. <laughs> Our next story is from Emma. I am admittedly very sensitive to the paranormal. My friends and family call me psychic. My little brother calls me a freak, lovingly, I hope. At three years old, I assured my mother that several of our friends who were supposed to be in the Twin Towers on 9-11 were all safe. Sure enough, they all were. At six years old, a family friend got into a very bad car accident. Again, I was sure they'd be fine. They walked away with a mild concussion. Those are probably the biggest examples, but I always know who's calling before the phone even rings or what people are about to say before they say it. My friends all came to me when applying for colleges, asking if I got any vibes from their top choices. I correctly predicted most of where my friends got in, and whether or not they'd actually like it there. I'm not sure if whatever was in the house in the story I'm about to share targeted me because of my sensitivity, or if I was just most affected by happenstance. Either way, it was not pleasant. My family has moved houses twice in the last two years. In November of 2017, we had to move out of the house I grew up in very quickly. We were in a bind for options as we were only given a month to move, ended up renting a house from someone from our church who'd heard about our situation and would be going overseas for six months. Gratefully, we began to move all our stuff over, but I didn't actually go into the house until the day we began living there. As soon as I walked in the house, I felt an overwhelmingly negative presence. At 19 years old, I began to cry as soon as I set foot inside. I told myself I was sad about leaving my childhood home and pulled myself together. I ignored my gut instinct and assured myself that I was just being silly. I was very, very wrong. The way the house is, it had three floors plus an attic. The attic was a small, little, unheated room, functioning as an office that we weren't supposed to go in. The third floor had the master bedroom for my parents and my brother's bedroom on one side of the house, and my bedroom and one empty bedroom on the other. It took about a minute and a half maybe to walk from one side of the house to the other so I was far enough away from my parents that I felt a little isolated. The first floor was the living room, dining room, kitchen, etc. And finally, the basement. It held a furnished game room, one last bedroom, and the boiler room. The first month we were there, the house steadily descended into sadness. 
As my boyfriend at the time was leaving for a semester abroad in England at the beginning of January 2018, I attributed the steadily rising levels of depression around the house to me, not being ready for him to leave. Again, wrong. I didn't like being in the house by myself and would have my boyfriend over as much as possible as I flat out refused to go into the basement, ever. More on the basement in a second. If my boyfriend couldn't come over, I'd try to spend my time out of the house, doing errands or at the local library. I was mostly distracted helping him prep for his London trip and being out of the house, so I didn't think much about what was happening inside the house. I actively tried not to think about it. Then, when my boyfriend left the first week of January 2018, there was a distinct change in the house. I'm generally a very happy person, but all of a sudden I became more and more depressed, retreating into my room and rarely leaving except to leave the house completely. Then all of a sudden my car refused to start. It had no problems before and just wouldn't start. I tried several times before we finally had it taken to a shop, and every time it just refused to start. Sometimes the key wouldn't even turn in the ignition. As soon as my car was gone, everything got much, much worse. I retreated to my room, completely depressed. It felt like the house shrank and shrank with darkness that could consume me at any moment if I stepped outside my room. I could never get warm in that house. No matter how many sweaters or blankets I was piled under, it felt like something was actively taking away the warmth. I started having nightmares of a completely black shadow of a man waiting in the boiler room in the basement. The basement had always freaked me out, specifically the boiler room. The boiler room, whenever I was forced to go into the basement, looked pitch black. The kind of black and dark that absorbs light. The boiler room door would open and close by itself, going so far as to slam shut with loud bangs several times. Back, holed up in my room as the winter dragged on, my bedroom door started opening and closing by itself, beginning just once a week, but eventually happening almost every night, starting at 2 a.m., until I either told whatever it was to GTFO or 3 a.m., whichever came first. At the same time, my nightmares of the man in the boiler room began to change. In the nightmares, he began to walk up the stairs from the basement and stay in the living room. Then he'd move from the living room to the stairs to the bedrooms. At the point when my door was opening and closing, and the nightmares began happening even more frequently, I bought a ticket to London for the duration of my boyfriend's stay there, with his return date coinciding with us moving to a different house in May of 2018. I then packed up my bedroom and all of my stuff so it'd be easier for my parents to move while I was away. During my packing, stuff would go missing and reappear right where I'd left it fall off of shells in ways that were wrong, and stuff would just randomly break, like the glass in the photo frames just shattering. Then, within a few days of my leaving for London, the opening and closing of my door stopped. But the nightmares changed, to the man in the boiler room walking all the way up the stairs and stopping outside my bedroom door. The night before I left for London, I woke up from the same nightmare of the man from the boiler room walking all the way up the stairs, stopping outside my bedroom door, to my bedroom door opening slowly and a deeply oppressive shadow just beyond the doorframe standing there in the hallway. I turned on my light and stared at the ceiling until the sun came up. I don't know when the shadow left, but as soon as I deemed it was light enough out, I brought my bags downstairs and waited by the door until my mom drove me to the airport a couple of hours later. I never stepped foot in that house again. I've tried talking to my family about the weird feeling in the house. My dad and brother both had no idea what I was talking about. But my mom, who is less sensitive than I am but definitely feels stuff, said she felt something dark in the house too. 
As soon as I left, she wouldn't go downstairs to the basement or be in the house alone, but refused to hear too much about what I experienced. Possibly, as you guys say, because that would make it real for her. It was a huge plot of land bordering the woods with a large pond on the property. Since listening to your podcasts, I wonder if rather than the house, it was the land that was the problem, or in fact that the usual occupants who'd never felt anything and talked to us originally about what a lovely warm feeling the house has, were overseas for almost half the year every year, caused something to begin inhabiting the places where people were not. But then we were. We've talked before on the show about the idea of, of gin and things that inhabit the empty places. Yes. And so, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to yeah. hear a story like this come from a house that normally sits empty. Um, it's the same with, uh, you know, I talk about the young building in my book, Victoria's Most Haunted. The young building where it's full of students and teachers and everything during the day, but at night, it, it transfers over. Ownership transfers over. Right, yeah. Uh, and it definitely becomes whatever spirits are in there uh, for the evening. Interesting. Yeah. So I wonder if it's the same kind of principle. Um, I think because she is sensitive to it, it was directly communicating with her. Really? A hundred percent. She was the one that was open to it. It knew it could prey on her. It was not a good thing. Uh, no. And I think that's exactly what it did. It probably found her very easy to communicate with, if, for lack of a better word. Right. Um, and it wanted her to know that it wasn't happy she was there. Or anybody was there, probably. Yeah. I, there's something truly chilling about the idea of something coming up from the basement. Yes. I, and I, I mean, I assume it's probably just old, you know, it could even be rooted in horror movies and such, or even older fears of something coming up from the ground. But it just... There's something elemental about that. I agree. About this, yeah, the, the, this thing in the boiler room. Yes, definitely. Oh, Jesus. It also reminds me of that story we had, uh, I think it was on, on the last episode of the one before, the woman in Michigan who had the one room in the house that seemed to have been claimed by something. Yeah. And so she, it's a cat's room now. She never goes in there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the basements are usually the places where people go the least. Yeah. Um, and as a result, that is where you will find that energy sort of lurking. Um, even growing up as a kid, my bedroom, I talked about this before, was in the far corner of the basement. Of course, right. Um, which was not developed, I might add. Yeah. Uh, so scary as hell. And I would literally, I don't think I ever walked up those basement stairs. I ran every right. time. Um, and I hated hated it. Uh, to go to bed, I would have to turn on all the lights. And then, you know, um, once I was in my room, I was fine. I would shut the door and I would sort of imagine it full of light. And I was never really bothered in the room. But if I had to leave my room for anything in the middle of the night, no, I wasn't happy. Yeah. I haven't actually been in a basement in quite a while because obviously I live in a ground floor apartment. Right. And no one I know uh, anymore owns a house. Right. You know, but I remember when I was in Los Angeles, I had this weirdest thought pop into my head. And I, I don't, I'm not saying it means anything, but I remember because I was hanging out with, uh, with Ella, our listener from Australia. Right. And the weirdest thought popped into my head and it was, don't be caught underground at night. Oh, Wow. Don't be underground at night. Right. Hmm. And that's stuck with me ever since then. I, and again, I have nothing to base that on. I have no particular, uh, no particular, you know, story to back that up or reasoning to back that up. It just popped into my head. And I know we have a listener who works underground at night. Right. Uh, and I won't, I won't say their name, but if you're out there, if you, uh, you've mentioned in past little things uh, before. So if, if you have any stories, I, I'd very much like to hear them. Yeah, for sure. 
So thank you again, Emma, for sharing that with us. And uh, yeah, we're glad you got the hell out of there. Yeah, absolutely. So this is our last story for the night, and it comes from Michael. Michael says, when I was nine years old, I was staying the night at my aunt's place in Belvedere, New Jersey. Because my uncle was playing baseball with his work league, and I wanted to stay and play with my cousin Donnie after the games were over, I slept in Donnie's room, and we went to bed around 11.30 p.m. A couple hours later, I got up to go to the bathroom. After doing my business, I started walking back to my cousin's bedroom, when suddenly I heard footsteps coming from the attic. My other cousins, Bobby and Joey, had their room up there, so I looked down the hall expecting to see them. What I saw was not my cousins. It was a tall, big figure in the shape of a man that stopped as he rounded the corner by the attic door and looked at me. I didn't know what to do or say because I was nine, so I slowly started to lift my foot to enter my cousin's room. The wood creaked, and the figure started running at me full speed. I booked it down the stairs, feeling unable to scream or breathe, and made it down into the living room. I hid behind the lazy boy in the corner of the room. Still able to see the stairs, I looked to see if the figure followed me down, and it had. But it stopped at the last step, with both of its hands on the railing. It was looking at me. We both stared for what seemed like hours, but was only a few seconds. Then it suddenly turned and went back upstairs. Completely terrified, I sat in the corner watching the staircase for what seemed like forever, hoping the figure didn't come back. Eventually, I sat in the lazy boy, but didn't keep my eyes off the stairs until the sun rose. When it did, my aunt came down, saw me, and asked if I was okay. I told her what had happened, she hugged me and rubbed my back, and I started crying. The night was over. After that night, I refused to stay overnight in the house. As I got older, say 12 to 13, things still happened during visits. Sounds of walking upstairs above us when no one else was home, the TV turning on in my aunt's room, and the volume rising. The door to the basement was in the downstairs bathroom, and that door would shake and there would be knocking. I haven't been in that house now for, I'd say, 16 plus years. I'm 29 now, and it still scares me. Now, haunting in a bathroom, <laughs> that's unfair. Yeah, you're you, in there, you can't run. No, you're in there doing the Lord's business. <laughs> and some jackassy ghost from the basement starts shaking the door. Yeah, not cool. That would finish me. Yeah. I thought the aunt's reaction was very interesting. How so? Well, because most of these stories, it's like, oh, you're imagining things. Don't be silly. You know, like they explained it away. Right. And she just hugged him and rubbed his back. That's a good point. Right. So and you think she may not oh, I have been surprised knew. by this? Oh, I don't think she was surprised at all. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me that um, he doesn't say anything about it. Like he never talked to his cousins about it. That's a good point. Or the aunt. Like nobody ever said, yeah, you're right. This is what happened. I wonder if they just sort of thought of it as normal and got on with their lives. Yeah. Or, or I wonder if it was one of those things that gets filed away. You know, we talked about this in our, uh, our fancy talk at the museum. Yes. You know, we talked about how your memory kind of almost has sort of an immune response yeah. to stuff like this. And I just, have nowhere to put this in my intellectual capability. So we're just not going to remember it anymore. Yeah. It just, yeah. Drops it down yeah. The, the memory hole. Yeah. And so I kind of wonder if that took place. Yeah. That's a good point. Michael, if you're out there, let us know. I'm kind of curious to, uh, Kind of curious to know if, if you ever had any conversations about this. Yeah, I would love to know too. So that's going to do it for Listener Stories, Volume 14. Uh, 14? That's amazing. 14. We, we are almost at our 30-year anniversary. Oh, I can't believe it. I know. We've been sitting in this damn room for three years. <laughs> <laughs> the tiny mountain cabin has never smelled ranker. It's true. <laughs> There's nowhere else I'd rather be. <laughs> 
All right, we're going to take a quick break and then come back with our patron shoutouts and listener mail. Welcome back. Thanks as always to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this and every episode. We couldn't do it without you. Really couldn't. I, yep. I don't even want to imagine it. What a horrifying world that would be. <laughs> All right. So first up, we have our patron shout outs. All right. We'd like to thank all our patrons. We couldn't do it without you, but we'd like to especially thank our newest patrons and they are. Manuela Montenegro, Lakshmi Thamuru, Carol Kirstead, Kathleen Brown, Bonnie Zarnich, Samantha, Eva Bryant, Kimberly Monk, and Alan Ariola. Thank you so much, everyone. Again, we're always humbled by your support, by your kind words. It just means a world to us, allows us to, uh, to keep the show going. It, funny enough, I was talking to someone the other day about the, the relative cost of the show and they were shocked by what we spend on the show. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we don't, I guess technically we don't have to, but it allows us to produce the level of show that we want to produce. Well, you were shocked because you, for like our first year or more, you were pretty much funding this. Up until August of last year. Yeah. yeah. So like I would, I would get the occasional thing, but you were pretty much funding this. And then when you started going through going, Oh, 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 this is why I'm broke all the time. This is why I'm broke all the time. Yeah. It really adds up in small increments. So you guys helping us out with this is magical. Seriously. Yeah, actually, and I'm just going to say this on the show because I'm quite proud of this. Uh, we were able to go into Long and McQuaid and pay off our the remainder of our financing in cash. Yes. So we own all our equipment now free and clear. That's right. And uh, that's, again, because of you guys. So. Now, if we could just pay off the mortgage on the little mountain cabin. <laughs> yes. There's the dream, folks. <laughs> One day. Dream big. Dream big. So thank you again. If you want to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We have tiers at the one, five, 10, 20 and $50 levels gets you everything from exclusive patron only stickers to monthly, uh, several actually monthly patron only episodes. Those include cabin fever, which is me and Ian talking about the things that, uh, we just don't have time for in the regular show anymore. Luke's Luke lore series, which is a monthly deep dive into a folklore subject of his choosing. There's the monthly live show for $10 patrons. And that's a YouTube live stream where we get to hang out with you guys and shoot the breeze and let you know what's going on with us. And you can ask us questions. Ask us questions. We hear what's going on with you. It's just a, yeah, it's a chance for us to, to hang out with you guys. Going a little bit higher, you get access to Ian's smash hit, Christian country album, Aware of Wonder. And yes, it's real. It is um, very we, real. We had a comment from someone saying, I always thought that was pretend. No, no. It is very real. <sighs> it is sadly very and real. And it, it's, it's everywhere you stream your music, so you can hear it. But if you want the high quality digital copies, patreon.com slash ghost guys. <laughs> All right. So again, thank you so much, folks. And even if you can't contribute financially, there are hard times. Believe me, I understand. Uh, we appreciate you listening and coming along this crazy journey with us. Next up, we have listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. Thanks as always to everyone who wrote in. We love hearing from you, your stories, 
your comments, your questions, your gentle criticisms. <laughs> this time around, we'd like to thank Gina, Ashlyn, Emilio, Eric, Mandy, Paul, Kara, Amber, Barb, Jason, Billy, Kendra, Jamie, Jay, Stephanie, Bob, Julielle, Gustavo, Ruth, Aaron, Bill, Chelsea, Mark, Phyllis, Claire, Jessica, Carolyn, Rin, Leslie, Catherine, Michaela, and Andrea. Yes. Thank you so much, everyone. Again, hearing from you guys, knowing you're out there makes it worth, uh, worth pushing on. And we, we do love hearing from you. If you want to get a hold of us, send us an email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at ghoststoryguys, Facebook at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys, and Instagram at instagram.com slash the ghoststoryguys. And if you're going to send us a story, please send it to the email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Yes. It is, uh, there's a very good chance they will get lost if you send them via DM or, uh, Facebook. The Facebook interface the is terrible. The Facebook messages for pages is the worst. Are you listening, Zuckerberg? I know you oh. are. I know you are. It sometimes I can't even respond. It won't even let me respond. Oh God. And it keeps, it keeps popping up thing saying, um, Facebook pages is now going to use messenger. Do you want to install it? It's already installed. Oh, Lord. So, yeah. No, I'm not impressed at all. Yeah. So, if you have a story, and please do send in your stories. We'd love to hear them. We'll share them, if possible, on the show. That's at ghostoryguys at gmail.com. So, coming up, I don't think we have anything going on. Halloween is sort of like Christmas for us. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it's sort of a, a lovely, quiet downslope to Christmas. Yep. I'm planning a trip at Christmas where we can talk about that next time. Yes. Uh, we also hopefully will have a guest on next week's show. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. I agree. We talked about it on a previous show, but, uh, we won't mention it again. We'll be a surprise if you haven't heard coming up by, that'll be next episode. We will have a special guest storyteller. We're going to be doing a greatest hits episode in mid January. So we would love to hear from you what your favorite stories from the show are. Uh, so we, and, and, and can be from any episode. But we will be compiling an episode. We will be rereading those stories, possibly in some cases reinterpreting them or taking a fresh look at a story maybe we haven't talked about in a year and a half. So if you have a favorite Ghost Story Guys story from any one of our episodes, send us a note at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com and we will consider it for our upcoming Greatest Hits episode in mid-January. And if you just have like a kind of ghost story you love, that would be good to hear too. Sure, yeah. Yeah, anything from the show that you would like to hear us revisit, let us know. Yeah. And, and we will, uh, yeah, we will look at your entries and we'll put together what we can put together. If you want to pick up some ghost story guys, merch, head on over to our Redbubble store at ghoststoryguys.redbubble.com. We have all kinds of stuff there. T-shirts, mugs, go over, have a look. And if you do buy something, make sure to forward your receipt to us and we will send you a couple stickers as a thank you. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Helps get the numbers up on the show, gets the show to more eyes. We certainly appreciate it. Our main theme, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. You can find more from him at soundcloud.com slash Music. Our stories theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. You can find more from them at hexagram, with two X's, not three, dot bandcamp.com. All other music and sound effects are licensed through Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for pod-safe music and sound effects for your next project, make sure to head on over to epidemicsound.com and check them out. I guess that's going to do it. We'll be back in two weeks with another show, and until then, into the darkness we go.
that's I'm done looking at that. It's like a horror movie, seriously. Scroll, 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 stop. Ghosts of the Victoria Golf Club Court. Golf Club Court. <laughs> I was going to say, there is one person who's going to get that joke, and he's on the other side of this table. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that life lesson, Uncle Brandon. The more you know. <laughs> How much of that can I not bleep? I'm going to have to bleep all of it. Yeah. Oh, well. So it goes. I'm just going to try and strangle myself with a mic cord here. It's all you. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> so I decided to provoke the spirits by dancing on someone's grave. It was a... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's a really bad <laughs> idea. That's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. Because <laughs> <Caught me off. laughs> I can't read it with you anymore. Right. So I was like, oh my. <laughs> Bold choice. Oh no. <laughs> You can't say that. I know, but I want to. <laughs> oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> I'm going to bury you in a shallow grave. Ah, 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 ah.